Hey, what's up, guys? Dave and I weren't able to record this week, but thankfully, I found an episode in the archive that you have not seen. So this was like right before I got sick. Dave and I knocked this one out. Then like a month later, when we started recording again, I totally forgot it existed. So this is something that's never been played before. We've got a ton of listener questions in this 40-minute Q&A. Then later in the week, Dave and I have an interview with Dr. Dean St. Mark talking all about his thoughts on PCT. So for now, we'll discuss planning a diet and a contest cycle when you don't have a solid contest date in mind. What's the most amount of muscle that a guy with average genetics can gain in five years if he does everything right? From there, we'll discuss improving squatting stance, then tips on injecting into each head of the bicep and tricep, how to not get burnt out on clean foods when you eat them day after day after day. Will site injections into lagging body parts produce new growth? Plus a bunch more, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed yet, we'd love to have you along. All your likes, comments, all that stuff, it helps to boost us up in the algorithms. We appreciate all of that. And thank you to our great sponsor, truenutrition.com. Use our new code THINK for additional savings. All right, guys, let's get to the show. And thankfully, it's cool that we had so much great feedback. In fact, we had a lot of really good questions. A lot of stuff about Christmas cabbage, like the Christmas cabbage fan club. Uh, That's like a thing now, apparently. Um, yes, <laughs> but, uh, I did want to try to get to these questions first. There was a bunch of other stuff, man. Like I saw Johnson and Johnson, uh, I, I was going to do like a steroids or drugs in the news. Um, they just got sued. The guy is getting awarded like $8 billion because he got gyno. Yeah. There's a medication it's used for mood issues or something. I didn't really look into what the medication was. I know it's used for schizophrenia. The guy had like some sort of ADHD issues or something like that. No, uh, it was like an Asperger's thing. And uh, he got gyno from this medication and he sued and he was awarded $8 billion. Isn't that That's crazy? insane. Yeah. How? How? I mean, I, you know, I get that the pharmaceutical company or, or if someone takes a medication and it causes problems that you should be compensated for those problems. Yeah. But... Where in the world does gyno equate to eight billion? I guess they were saying like that that they put making money ahead of the the health of the people, and so they wanted to make an example out of this. That they made eight billion dollars. Yeah, but still, <clears throat> eight billion is 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 just insane. I mean, what the fuck? I'll have gyno for eight million. Don't worry about the billion. I'll take it for eight million. The funny thing is, I've heard it being uh, talked about in the news, and people don't really understand what gyno is. You know, mainstream people. Yeah. All they know is this guy grew breasts, so they're picturing these like luscious giant double D's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that did that, wasn't there? The guy that actually had implants put in. I'm sure there's more and than one he guy. He had him. He had him for years. No, I mean he, he actually had a pair of tits made. Yeah. Okay. And he had him. He did it as a bet. He originally started it as a bet, but he kept them for years. Wow! Because he was so popular. Wow! Uh, someone just asked what stack is Christmas cabbage on. <laughs> yeah, he's a. I thought he was natural. No, he's he's a fan of Decca. He's definitely a Decca fan. He learned from you, then it sounds. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, All he's right. not had a good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'll jump into these questions. We'll see what we can get knocked out here in the next uh, 30, 40 minutes. Um, Jonathan asks, what would be, uh, what would you best program a diet in a cycle? 
if you don't have an exact date for a bodybuilding competition due to COVID nonsense? Um, well, as in, I would probably do more of a recomp situation where I'd clean the diet up, but I wouldn't be super restrictive in actual quantities. Yeah. Um, and then run a quite mild sort of off seasonish cycle, uh, and just, you know, diet come down so that you're six to eight weeks striking distance from a show and then hold. Yeah. 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 I think that you, you just, I wouldn't change anything. I'd try to find an area where, cause this is something obviously a lot of my clients are running into, but you just need to shoot for that, that window and we could figure, okay, so, you know, I'm in Detroit. I'd have to say only like 15% of the people I work with are here in Detroit uh, or Michigan, really. Everybody else is around, you know, the country or some people international. But we look for, you know, let's find several shows in your area. When is the season going to be most populated, you know, densely with uh, with contests? And let's say there's a show in June, July, two in August. Then we're like, okay, well, let's maybe shoot for that June show. And if that falls through, we've got July in the two in August, we can figure something out. You know what I mean? But I'd say just get in shape. You could. Here's the thing is that I used to feel, Dave, like you would want to um, you'd want to like time your peak up to be just right so that you come right in at the show. And now, man, I want people to be ready four weeks out. And then we reduce the cardio. We re, we increase the food. They have a chance to let the, their body de-stress, and then they come in fuller, mm. and they usually get leaner in that process too after they've been dieting mm -hmm. their ass off for sixteen weeks. So take that yep. last month, you know, and if that last month stretches into two months, well, so be it. It's not going to be easy, but you are eating more food, you're doing less cardio. Uh, I guess the only big question is the drugs, because once you you can diet for eight months if you wanted to, but once you start that trend, you're kind of like the clock is ticking, you know. Yeah, I mean that's why I said run something like a mildish off-season cycle to start with, just to give just to give you some, you know, a bit of muscle growth properties because you're not going to be going super lean at that initial point. Keep the cycle short so you can drop a six-week or an eight-week drop it, and then you've you've got time to set adjust and see where you're going from that point onwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Rather start... than loading up a 12, 14 week cycle and 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 be halfway through that and then finding out that your show has been pushed back six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think I almost feel like the, the, my thought is like, well, what's the least amount of time that we can run that gear and get the best effect from it still, yeah. you know, yeah. that way. Yeah. That sort of approach. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Um, like I said too, we did get a bunch of stuff. Look at this. There's another Christmas cabbage comment. If I can, if I can make it larger here, there we go. The cabbage. Super, he's a superstar, mate. What can I say? <laughs> All right. What else do we have here? Um, most amount of lean body mass, uh, the medium lifter, medium five years of training lifter can't expect to gain if everything is in order. And how much does genetics affect this? I.e., someone with bad genetics. Um, amounts all the way uh up to elite level well that's that's 
a very difficult question to answer and a, really an impossible question to answer. Um, Genetic-wise, obviously genetics play a huge part. Do you have to have super genetics to be a pro? No. But the vast majority of pros do. Yeah. Um, Gaspari was always famous for making it into the pro ranks and having shit genetics for growth. Um, and, and hard work and dedication and, and obviously drugs and diet and everything else, you know, can can to some way compensate if your genetics aren't on point. But then you get genetically gifted people. You know, I mean, Ronnie Coleman would never have been the size and the elite athlete he was without the fact that his genetics are so amazingly adapt at what he does. Yeah. Um, how much lean body mass can you gain in, in, in five years of training? Anything from, you know, 10 pounds to 50 pounds, depending on who you are, I suppose. Uh, yeah. There's so many variables with this. It's impossible to really give you a point. I mean, most pros aren't, when you start to get to the point where you're standing on Olympian stage, your your body weight or your body mass isn't really increasing much year on year. It's more that you're reforming it and shaping and dealing with details and balance rather than you are building overall mass. Yeah. But yeah. we've we've seen I mean we've seen some pretty impressive transformations in the pro ranks over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean man, I'm I'm thinking of a guy Ben Pollock that I just talked to recently for a, a show. He was a power lifter and guy was a, a, incredibly strong, but he was competing at like 189 or whatever. I don't know. It was under 200 pounds and he had to stay there. So um, he wasn't able to do anything that would help him like really push mass, anything that would put a lot of weight mm -hmm. on. Then he decided to go to like whatever it is, the super heavy weights or whatever it would be in powerlifting. I don't do powerlifting, but there's no weight cap where he is now and mm -hmm. he's bodybuilding. He went from classic, he put on a bunch of weight and now he's just like 265 or whatever, 280. I don't I don't even know. But the guys put on like, you know, so much mass in a couple year period of time. You know, it's like that that's an extreme thing, but I don't think most people are going to experience that, you know what I mean? No. I mean, your first your first year of training you're probably going to see quite impressive mass gains, you know, especially or your first year of cycling, you, you know, 10, 12, 20 pounds. Yeah. He's not been unreasonable in that first year, but obviously to maintain that year on year, you know, most competitive athletes with average genetics are going to be looking at, I suppose, what, 10 pound a year, five to 10 pound a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd be lucky you to get 10, right? You know, and then, you know, you're, you're genetically gifted to these guys that fly through the ranks and, and hit pro at very young ages. Um, but they don't, you, once you hit the pro ranks, you don't generally see huge changes in muscle mass. Mm -hmm. It's more changes in balance and quality of physique. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at the competitors at the Olympia and look at their stage weights over the last five, six years, you probably wouldn't see massive variances in their weight year on year. Yeah, no, of course not. Not at that, not at that level. You know, even, no. even I, I think when you're competing, even like five pounds in a year is a lot. Like if it's in the right place, and that's the other thing as well, putting five pounds mm. in the right place can dramatically change your physique. Putting five pounds in the... I won't say the wrong place, but a place that isn't going to add balance or, or create better lines in your physique. 
yeah. can sometimes really not look that much. Sure, sure. And I think we've seen that, you know, we've seen that before where people are like, oh, yeah, the guy's, you, you know, he screwed his physique up or whatever, you know. They, they start mm -hmm. losing their waist. All right. Got another one here. All Ooh, right. That's a big one. Question for Christmas cabbage. And you guys, too, if Christmas cabbage doesn't have a good answer. Um, okay. My feet naturally angle 10 to 15 degrees outwards when my knees are straight. And my knees point slightly outwards as well when just standing normally, like a neutral posture. My dad is the same, so I guess it's genetic. Has no effect on sports performance, but for bodybuilding, this results in a mechanical bias toward the vastus medialis, and I struggle to build size equally in the lateralis, uh, angling my feet and knees inward to em uh, emphasize the vastus lateralis ends up torquing my knees in a weird way that doesn't feel right when putting the load on. Do you guys have any recommendations on things that I can try to better isolate the outer quad in uh, isolation work? Hmm. Hang on. Oh, we lost Dave. Christmas Cabbage says, oh. <laughs> have you tried doing things with your feet together? Yeah. Mm. That's what we're going to him. So let me get this straight. He's standing. His so he, kind he, of he's, out. he's naturally, yeah, he's naturally duck feet. Yeah, yeah. So when he squats and everything, his knees are tracking outwards. And if he tries so to like force a, a, it in, then he has pain. It hurts his knees. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you put your feet together mm -hmm. and try hack squat work in that position rather than trying to do something that's going to recover. The thing is with a hack squat, you see, you can place your feet forward. Yeah. Keep your shins at directly 90 degrees to the, f the foot plate. Yeah. And then the only sort of the, – the shins, the ankles, and the feet all stay locked they're not moving. So you're going to get less torsion in the knee joint by going up and down in that position with your feet together right. than you are if you try it with your heels tucked back where your knees are going forward over your toes and then you've got more torsion effects going on in, within the joint. Yeah. So I, could, I, could I would that. try hack, keeping the shins vertical, knees together. Even yeah. if you band the knees so you allow them to move a little bit, but a band is just bringing them back together as much as possible. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how some hip mobility work would do for him. Now, everybody has their genetic limitations, and everybody is going to be predisposed to squat differently depending on how your hips work. Um, from what I understand, there's two types of flexibility, and I, I'm not a kinesiologist here, so I'm just going to use some really basic words to explain this. But basically, like, you know, you have people that have flexibility with their legs going out. And people, other people with flexibility with their legs going in. Like for me, I know that with, with my hips, I've had to do some mobility to get my legs to be able to be kind of closer in, and to have that flexibility to do that. So I started looking up mobility exercises for my hips. And um, I think you can change it some. But just standing mm -hmm. there and forcing it is probably that's why you're getting pain. You know, you can't mm -hmm. you can't force it. That'd be my thought. 
No. I mean, I, I'm naturally pigeon-toed, so I actually turn in. Okay. So I, t- I tend to develop very much the outer edge of my quads more than the inner. Okay. And, and when I used to try and force my feet open, the knee pain I used to get was immense. Yeah. Um, but I managed to do reasonably <laughs> neutral but and just go wider stance but neutral rather than actively trying to point the toes out and get into a duck position. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what was he trying to grow there? Was he saying he wanted to grow more of the outer sweep? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you could keep it, I think you're right on that. Like hack squat really, it legs are, I think are one thing where it's like machines make a big difference because you can, you can close your stance in on a machine and still be comfortable versus like try to do that in a squat and it's going to be a mm-hmm. world of pain, you know? Mm-hmm. It is. All right. Um, Hmm. Tips on injecting each head of the buy and the try. Okay. Um, when you try, I wouldn't do each head. So with the tricep, I would do. Is that better? She's upstairs. Can you hear her? Yeah, barking. This is so with the outer head. I would literally go in sort of here. What would you down? What would you use size-wise for something like that? Blue or green? What's a blue or green? 1.2527 gauge. 1.25 inches? Yeah. Huh. Well, that's if you've got proper sized arms, Scott. When you've only got 16s <laughs> like yours, it's not, you know, it's a bit of a problem. Oh, Scott's got a new gym picture to show you later as well. And then for the try for the main head, I'd just literally go in that way. Yeah, in there. I'm so straight in there. You're kidding me. I've never done. I've never gone. Yeah, in straight there. in there. Huh. And then bicep. Um, bicep. There's two ways you can do this, really. You can go in through the front. Or you can go in through the top. But I'd be careful for going in on the outer head. Because that can be quite painful. Where the inner the inner head will be much more tolerant of an in, of a shot than the outer head will be. Hmm. Now, do you think it'd be wise to do all this? I think it all depends. You know, there becomes a point with injecting where you have to break in new sites, particularly if you've got a high volume of injection protocol. Yeah, and that doesn't always necessarily mean you're running high doses. It might just mean that you have a low tolerance. At site, so for me, like test prop, I had to run it at half mil everywhere. You know, yeah. I couldn't put it in any more than that. Um, I've never had an issue with biceps or tricep injecting. Never had a problem with them. Never had any uh, raising. Uh, right, I have had more problems with my glutes than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but like anything, it's about being sensible. You know, there's a there's a much more increased level of you know, nerves, tendons, and vascularity in those areas. So you've got to be a little bit more careful about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, they're small muscles too. So I think that they can Hmm. be less forgiving. If you have a shot that swells your whole glute up, imagine that level of inflammation in the small head of your tricep, you know? Yeah, I mean, the other thing there is obviously if you do get inflammation, it's going to put a lot of stress on the tendons. Yeah, yeah. Because there's not the muscle mass to disperse that load, that disperse that load over. So there are 
issues with sighting smaller muscle groups. But you've just got to be sensible. You know, if you do first shot in a bicep, don't shove two mil in there. Right. Stick half in. You know, break it break it down slowly. Put half in, see how it goes. Find, uh, if you've got tattoos, it helps, daft as it sounds, because you've got a bit of a roadmap. You can go, right, I go in at that point there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you've got marks in your skin. But uh, it, it's obviously scar tissue is going to build up. So uh, just be wary of that as well. Yeah. Ooh, I got a good one here. This is something we usually don't talk about on bodybuilding podcasts, but this is so important. Um, I see people running into this issue where they eat the same thing for 20 weeks. And they burn themselves out on it. I don't think if you've been in bodybuilding for an extended period of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You could burn yourself out on a food to the point where it makes you nauseous to try to eat it. Oh, yeah, you know? been there. So the question is, uh, a way to cook chicken breast that doesn't taste like cardboard. I found cooking it in water. Not always particularly boiling it, though I used to slow cook a lot of my chicken, but putting sitting the breasts in an oven tray and then sitting that, in, you know, putting water in that oven tray as well. Yeah. So a deep oven tray, so, you know, that, that deep, chicken breast laid in, water laid in. They, they don't dry out. They stay much moisture. They fall apart. They're much, much nicer when it comes to texture. How much water? Um, like one inch or something? No, probably two. Two. Okay. Inch yeah. And a half. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a decent amount. Of... And then the other thing is obviously, I don't know if you, I presume you may have them over there. We have them over here, these spice bags. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's a, Basically, it's a bag full of spices. You throw the chicken in it, seal huh. the bag, mix it all around, then throw it in the oven. Nice. Huh. And and that then cooks in the spices to flavor the chicken, so you can have lots of different flavors of the same meat yeah. sauce. Um, and then, do you cover that chicken up too while it's cooking? Yeah, okay. always. Okay, but there's. I think a lot of it as well is just just being a little bit. I think we get very lazy when it comes to meal prep because yes. we do so much of it, and it's over and over again, and we start getting to the point where it's just like it's easy. Yeah, and and if you if you're eating very large amounts, meal prep prep can really become a chore. Yeah, uh, because you've got so much to prep. So as a result, the more food you're trying to prep, the chances are the less creative you're going to be. Are you familiar with um, the Instapot? Corey Wright just mentioned Instapot. I've heard they're great. But I haven't used one. No, I don't know. Yeah, pan frying uh, is another way of cooking your chicken. Stripping it down into strips, cooking it that way, changing, you know, how you deal with it uh, instead of just a lump as a breast. Yeah. Things you know what like I did that. for a long time was um, I do it on and off, really, was I used a slow cooker. I think the Instapot is like a slow cooker, but it's it's quick. But with my slow mm -hmm. cooker, um, you know, I had to leave for work at like seven in the morning or whatever. I just put it on right before bed, set it for whatever it was, like eight hours, six hours. Wake up in the morning, the house smells like delicious chicken. You can throw vegetables in there. You can throw potatoes in there and, you know, have a whole. I think a key, too, is being able to do stuff where you can do a lot of it. Like I do, I've done a lot of pan cooking of my chicken, but it takes a long time to if you have a lot of chicken, it, it's a lot of work to cut up 10 chicken breasts and then fry them all up, you know, in the pan. Yeah, I, mean, I used to always use slow cookers and I'd put the chicken in and then I might put green veg in or I might put mixed veg in, some spices in. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. Leave it overnight and effectively have a chicken stew the next morning. Okay. Okay, so it looks like we're hearing Instapot is a pressure cooker. Okay. All right, yeah. Huh. Yeah, Matt says he does 12 pounds of chicken at a time. Boom, you're done. I think the flavoring thing is a big thing, too, like you're saying, because we get in that habit. We do get lazy, and then we cook all of our food the same way over and over mm. again. And if you love it, I can guarantee you that you're eventually going to hate it. So it's like even when you have something that yeah. you really enjoy, <laughs> don't do it for every freaking meal. Um, I try to tell my clients. Variety is the spice. Yes, we should. Uh, that sounds like, um, I don't know, a meme or something. Variety is the spice of life. Yes, there you go. Shouldn't make them to a shirt for you, Dave. No, Dave, not at all. What? What was I going to say? Oh yeah, come on. I tell people stick up your. Okay, hold on a second. I tell people that they they have variety. Like if we're doing a lean meat, you can use chicken breast, turkey breast. 99 mm -hmm. or 97% fat-free ground turkey. You can use light fish like tuna, cod, if you want tilapia. And then they come back to me in 10 weeks and they're like, I can't eat chicken anymore. Is there anything else I can do? I'd be like, look at your diet. It says any of those options. But you get mm -hmm. it. In, you don't even think of it. You know what I mean? You don't even think of it. Let me see here. I do um, with, with like off-season plans. I, I give them a choice of meat. Yeah. And, and I tell them, vary it. Yeah. And guess what? They don't, right? No, no, they don't. I'm sick of chicken. Well, then stop fucking eating it. Eat something else. <laughs> we do have. Anyway, Scott, six come on. More You're questions. avoiding this. No. No, no hold on. Hold progress on. pick. We have six more questions, but Dave has provided me with two pictures. I'm not going to put them up, Dave. I'm not putting them up. I've not provided you with anything. These you want that <laughs> Scott sent me two pictures. One was his progress pick, and he said, What do you think? I think I put some weight on. And the other one was show me his new squat PB. So that's his progress pick for putting weight on. <laughs> the lightness is uncanny. <laughs> and that's him doing his new squat. Hey, listen, that what was a hard think? squat, I'm Dave. Impressed. That was a hard I'm impressed, squat. Mate. Listen, that bar weighs 55 pounds. Okay, it's it's the smile on your face. You just look wrong. And look at Astagrass, dude. That's that's a, that's yeah. a good squat. It's, it it's, it just you just look you you look all sorts of wrong in that picture. That's just like, would you trust this man to babysit your kids? <laughs> no, no, not at all. God no. <laughs> the other one though, that is uh, that's a good picture that he used. Who who whoever put this together. Uh, there's a very good, that's like a very sexy, like I'm looking in the camera all serious. I like that one. It's good. <laughs> Come on, back to questions now anyway. Ah. <laughs> all right. Let's see. What else we got? We've got, we've got 10 minutes here. Let's see what we can knock out. And if not, we can save these two. Um, Colossal, we already did a couple of years, so we're going to try to get someone else in here. Um... Ooh, okay. With online coaches being torn apart on social media for suggesting large doses and the general flavor of the month shifting to who can grow the most on the least amount of gear and post pictures of their health markers every five minutes, um, may we see the end of mass monsters in favor of 
more of the I'm big and healthy look to where you see where do you see bodybuilding going in the next five years based off of this? It's a good question. Um I think I actually got not attacked, that would be too strong a word, but someone made comment on a page about a cycle that I'd given somebody. And apparently this individual was moaning about the cycle in a private chat. That was me, uh, by the way. And he thought it he thought it was irresponsible. And the mm. total dose of the cycle was two grams. Okay. Now, and because he, he said it's ironic that I'm an advocate of health. I mm. am, but I'm also uh, an advocate of horses for courses. At the end of the day, if you're at the top end of your game or you're trying to step on an international stage, there for most people, you're not doing that on 600 milligrams. There becomes a point when doses have to start to increase. Yeah. Um, are we going to see the end of mass monsters? I think bodybuilding in particular goes through cyclic fashions. So we'll have a period where we will move slightly towards maybe a more aesthetic, smaller physique. Uh, that can be driven by top stars suffering with ill health and other factors. But then it will come back round to a, a, a maybe a grainier look and then a more overall massive look. Um, people want to see extremes. At the end of the day, I don't want to go to the Olympia, though I've never ever been anyway, but I don't want to go to the Olympia and look at a bloke on stage that's just a little bit better than me. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to Olympia and have my brain blown apart by either the condition or the size of the bloke that stood in front of me. That's what put bums on seats. Yeah. Uh, and bodybuilding at that level is a business. It's not a it's not a federation of competition. It's a business. Uh, and if those shows don't make money, and those shows don't attract sponsors and don't attract customers because the physiques are not super impressive, then they aren't going to exist as a business. So I think you're always going to have your freaks. You're always going to have your mass monsters. Yeah. Um, a lot is decided by judging. Um, there is, and we tend to do this, and it's probably because of the extreme nature of the sports we're involved in, but <clears throat> we do tend to get a little bit all or nothing with things we look at. Yeah. So as he said, quite currently, you know, if a coach gives someone a, a cycle of any more than a gram, they're getting torn apart for it. And it's like, well, no, in certain cases, that is what's deemed needed. Um. A coach can advise a client that this may not be the healthiest approach or that they would be better investing their time in improving their training and diet. But at the end of the day, the client's customer, and if the client's insisting on taking higher doses, then you've got to try and accommodate that in the best way you can by trying to keep them as safe as you can. Because if you don't, they'll just F off and go do it somewhere else. True. And and, and do it with no support and, and no responsibility. So... You know, it's a bit unfair. There are coaches that do just ram drugs into their, their clients. Uh, but there are, you know, at the same time, dosing is person-specific and goal-specific. Uh, and sometimes the bigger doses are going to be needed. Um, well, it, it, listen, too, uh, health is one thing, okay? Performance mm -hmm. is another thing. Mm -hmm. I think in order to improve performance you are compromising with health. So let's say the question is, is how much of a compromise are you going to make? If you say run, say 600 milligrams a test, 
that's still not healthy. It's not like you're improving your health by running 600 milligrams no. of test. You are creating a compromise. You're doing that for the sake of performance. So the question is always balancing health with performance, trying to find that middle ground. So I think what you do, Dave, isn't necessarily promote health. You promote harm prevention, which is a different yeah, thing. I, the, the thing is as well that that balance is individual to, to everybody because it's yeah. a risk-reward scenario. And my big thing is that if you want to take five gram, that's your choice. But just be aware of the potential of what five gram can do. Yeah. In the sense of damage. And as long as you're aware of the, the, the dangers, the risks, then at least you can make a decision that's informed. Absolutely. Rather than doing a cycle based on, on the fact that your mate told you to do so and having no idea of the implications of what that does. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you start getting into um, regional title levels, two-gram cycles are as common as anything. In fact, I would say they're probably the average is two-gram and possibly above. Sure, I'd agree. Uh, and, yes, a lot of people promote the low-dose thing, but also a lot of people now lie about the fact that they're running low-dose when they're not. I think you're right about that, too. I do. Um, and I think it's not about you know, whether someone's given someone a high cycle, it's about whether the person can justify the reasoning behind why they've done that cycle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and this is where, but obviously we don't bother with finding out. We just read headlines. We just read the grab points. And, and we very rarely as, as do we bother, especially on social media, getting the backstory of what everything has gone on. Sure. I think there will always be a need for mass in bodybuilding. Um, I don't think we're going to see a complete push towards healthy physiques. Uh, I think we will see more divisionalization of the sport. Um, I, I, at the end of the day, if you want to see a push towards healthy physiques, then you're going to be going towards the natural competitors rather than assisted competitors. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But, I mean, there's nothing healthy about a bodybuilding diet when it comes to getting ready for show. No, no, absolutely. There's really, you know, that, yeah. There's not much when you look at competitive bodybuilding that actually is healthy, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I've got a quick one here. Let's try to knock this one out and then we're going to uh, get Dean on. So, injecting into lagging body parts, biceps, for instance, um, for better mind muscle connection, would this promote growth? Yes and no. I think there is potential in smaller muscle groups for improved my muscle and connectivity if you're training that body part and it's got post-injection pain in it because your brain will go where the pain is, so therefore your brain will focus on that muscle. Um, the science says there will be a slightly elevated level of um, anabolics in the area of the injection site, but I think there's no real-world impact in that when it comes to growth because growth is governed by stimulation at the end of the day. You know, we grow based on the stimulation we give that muscle in the gym. Yeah. So I do think sighting helps with the connection, but that's where it ends. Um, and I don't think it's particularly productive in large muscle groups because 
you you're not going to get focus over the whole muscle you're only going to get focus at the point of where you've injected which is probably more distracting than it is beneficial but when you sight a bicep and the whole bicep is full and slightly swollen and slightly painful then when you do a bicep curl you feel it in one place and one place only and that's your bicep yeah so there's a there's a mild benefit there how to quantify that is very difficult to say yeah i i think in general it's probably like the the benefit you're going to get from it my thought would be very small like at the end of the day if you were to spend your cycles injecting into your biceps versus injecting into your glutes i don't think the the actual muscle let's say you look at your body a year later i don't think that you would have actual new tissue that you would wouldn't have had otherwise would you agree with that no, I think there's a mild benefit. I genuinely do. You think you'd be like noticeable? Like, hey, if you just start doing biceps from now on, you're going to have... Big... It's hard. Well, the, the, the growth's still going to be based around the stimulus from, from, from your training. It's not going to be based around the stimulus from, from the gear being in there. Yeah. Um, but I think it can definitely... I, I think it becomes more beneficial when you have someone who's struggling to connect with that muscle or they don't feel that muscle very well when they train it. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up here. We'll be back later this week with our interview with Dr. Dean St. Mart. And I wanted to say thank you to all of you. Thank you for tuning in and for subscribing. Thank you for all your comments and your positivity. You guys are making this show what it is, and we're happy to have you. 